I'm, a, I'm talking about grace today, so the song that we just sang goes with it. And to start off, I've, everybody's heard the story of the woman caught in adultery, right? I'm assuming most of you have heard it. It's the, uh, you can find it in John chapter 8, and basically the story goes that the religious leaders who are always trying to trip Jesus up caught this woman in the act of adultery. And in the Old Testament law system, in order to convict somebody, you had to have two or three witnesses. So apparently, two or three of these guys saw her committing adultery, because that's what they said. We caught her in the act. And I'm ass- I would assume, this is just a total assumption, I would assume that it was a setup because they didn't bring the guy in with them. It takes two to commit adultery. And they didn't drag the couple in. They drug this woman in. I don't know if she's wearing anything, like if they just drug her away in the act or what. But these religious leaders, and they, and they really didn't care about her. They really didn't care about the law that was being broken. What they really wanted was to catch Jesus and get him in a bind where he would look like a jerk for you know, saying that this woman was no good and deserved to die, or that he would break the law and say she didn't deserve to die because the law, God's law, said if you commit adultery, you have to be stoned. And so they drug this poor woman in front of these in front of Jesus, and they said, listen, Jesus, the law said we caught this woman in the act of adultery. She's guilty. We saw it, apparently. And so she, the law says she deserves to die. What do you say? And the story, Jesus, we, he kneels down and he starts writing in the dirt. The story doesn't tell us what he was writing. There's lots of conjecture about what some people think maybe he was writing the sins of the men who put, pulled this woman into have Jesus talk about the situation. So he you know, kneeled down and was writing the sins that these men had committed because then he stands up and he says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. So he basically said, anybody here who's perfect, who's never committed any crimes like this woman has, you go ahead and kill her. And one by one, the Bible tells us, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And Jesus, once they're all gone, Jesus looks at the woman and says, where's your accusers? And she says, they're, they're gone. And so Jesus says, well, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And most of the time when you hear that story, it's the, the lesson is on hypocrisy, right? It's about those nasty old Pharisees and religious leaders who were just... They were lawbreakers and they didn't care about anything and they drugged this poor woman in there and she needed to die. And, and that's the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were no sacrifices for adultery. You could, you know, if you screwed up the ceremonial law, you could make a sacrifice and go back to life. If you committed adultery, there's no way out. You deserve to die. You were supposed to be stoned to death. That was it. And Jesus should have condemned them all. He should have condemned the woman because she deserved to die. You know what the story is that the Pharisees were the bad guys, and they, you know, they walked away and they got, you know, they learned their lesson because they were just hypocrites. But and we don't, and we think about this poor old woman who, you know, she was just caught in the middle of adultery, no big deal. But we don't really think about the fact she was an adulterer. She was sinning against God. She deserved to be punished for her sins. She deserved for turning her back on the Lord. I mean, according to the law, she should have been killed. But Jesus let them all off the hook. He should have condemned the woman and He should have condemned all those men. He should have killed them on the spot and they should have dropped into hell 
if justice was served. That would have been justice for all of them to die on the spot, to go to hell and pay the penalty for their crimes against God. That, I mean, really, that would have been justice. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to give you all a second chance. I'm going to let you all go away and think about this. Because the, his last words to the woman were, go and sin no more. Go about your life. I'm giving you a second chance on life. This is your chance to... You, you deserve to die. You broke the law. But I'm not going to condemn you. Because out of all the people that were there, Jesus was the one highly qualified to cast that first stone. He was the one who had never committed a sin in his life. So he was, by his rights, could have been the first person to cast a stone. And then everybody else could have joined in. But he didn't. He let them all go. And gave them all another chance to think about what they'd done and turn their lives around. And, and, and Jesus will eventually judge everybody. He will, he's coming back and, and He's going to make sure that everything that everybody's done comes to its ultimate judgment. And you know, when God has, has had all He can stand and He can't stand no more, Jesus is coming back to judge the world and rule with an iron rod. And He's not going to put up with anybody's evil and wickedness. In, in the Isaiah, I've talked about this Isaiah prophecy. There's the, the time when Jesus went back to His hometown in Nazareth. He'd started His ministry and He went back to Nazareth and it was a, it, on the Sabbath, as was His tradition, He went to the synagogue and the men in the synagogue would take turns reading the Scripture every week. And you know whatever part of the scroll they happened to be on, they would read the next part of the Scripture that they had. And so this is the Isaiah prophecy that, that Jesus reads when He goes back to preach at His synagogue. So this is Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, Now Jesus came to Nazareth where He had been brought up and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was His custom, and He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Him. And He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He has anointed Me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent Me to proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on Him. Then He began to tell them, Today... This Scripture has been fulfilled even as you heard it being read. That was an upset in that synagogue on that Sabbath day. Because Jesus is basically saying, I am the one who this prophecy is talking about. When Isaiah wrote this down, he was talking about me and it's being fulfilled by me right now in your hearing. You get to be witnesses of the fulfillment of this prophecy. I mean, imagine if someone came in to our church and started preaching and saying, I am the second coming of Jesus Christ and I am fulfilling this prophecy right now. I mean, that would be an upset. And it was an upset in that church. I mean, obviously Jesus was, the, the, he was truly the fulfillment. And they should have recognized it, but they didn't. And so everybody got upset. They wanted to kill him. It was just a, a terrible mess. But what's more interesting than that is where Jesus decided to stop reading the Scripture. Because if you go to Isaiah, he was reading from Isaiah 61. They didn't have chapters and verses back then, but today we can look it up because we have chapters and verses. And this is the part of Isaiah that he read in chapter 61 at the beginning. The whole, the whole 
chapter of Isaiah is nothing but prophecy. It's all about prophecy about the Messiah. But he just read the first part of a verse. He, like he stopped mid-sentence because this is what it says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, to announce the year when the Lord will show His favor. All wonderful, great news. Comma, that's where Jesus didn't continue yet. Comma, the day when our God will seek vengeance. So Jesus said this, you know, by Him fulfilling it, He said the rest is coming, but not yet. I'm here to do this good part first. I'm here to release captives, to, to give sight to the blind, to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted. This is the time of the Lord's favor when I'm going to bring grace and favor and compassion and kindness. This is your second chance at life. And I'm here to bring it. But that we want to see the, the other part come. And when, when the Lord seeks His vengeance, we like... We have this yearning, I don't know about you, but I have this yearning to see the bad guys get it in the end. If you ever watch a movie where you've got the antagonist and he's, you know, they're always after the protagonist never can seem to get a break and they're always trying and they're always failing because the bad guys are always more powerful and they're always coming down on them and it's towards the end when, the, when, the, when you're coming to the climax of the story and finally the good guy has a turnaround and he's able to overcome the obstacles and take out the bad guys. And then there's always the time when you know you think he's been knocked out or killed or whatever, and in the last couple of minutes everybody's kind of relaxing and they're happy, and the bad guy comes back for a second and they finally, you know, stop him ultimately. I mean, that's, they always do the same thing in the movies, but but we like to see a movie come to the end where the bad guys get what they deserve, where they are you know locked in prison or their their reign of terror has ended, whatever it is. We like to see the the antagonist get what's coming to him. And, be, and for justice to be served, and for goodness and the, and the good guy to, to reign, and, and for goodness to rule. We like to see the, a, a happy ending to the stories. At least I do. But there's a little problem when you're dealing with the evil in God's kingdom and serving justice, because in God's kingdom, the bad guy is us. I mean, that, that we are the ones, because of our sin, because we've chosen to sin against God and turn our backs on our Creator, we are the ones who deserve to get it in the end. The, the, and the good guys, whoever they are, Jesus is one of them, would be right in hoping that you get shot in the end, that you get knocked out, that you go to hell and, and suffer for eternity so that you can never again break God's heart and, and wreck His kingdom with lies and lust and greed and immorality and rejection of your own Creator. Jesus made it very clear that there will be justice served. That it will come to the end whenever He decides to come back and, then, you know, and, and that's when evil is going to be ended and locked away forever and, and punished and dealt with and everyone who has hurt God and hurt His kingdom and hurt one another, are going to be dealt with ultimately. And that ought to scare you. I mean, especially if you've heard the Gospel of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 10, at verse 26, in Hebrews 10, 26-31, it says, 
For if we deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth, no further sacrifice of sins is left for us, but only a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. Someone who rejected the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's what, you know, dealing with the woman caught in adultery. That's what they were trying to do. How much greater punishment do you think that person deserves who has contempt for the Son of God and profanes the blood of the covenant that made Him holy and insults the Spirit of grace? For we know the One who said, Vengeance is Mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I mean, a lot of people talk about Jesus as just this nice teacher, this helpful guy, maybe a miracle worker. You know, I've never judged anybody, never held anything against anybody. But they don't think about the fact that he and God are in complete cahoots. I mean, Jesus and God are the same God. And when judgment day comes, Jesus is going to be the one judging and condemning and dealing with evil. And, that's a, and it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. On the day that Jesus comes back, it's going to be a really, really bad day for a lot of people. And obviously those who, are, who, who have been transformed and found the grace of God and have had their lives turned around because of His love and, and Him giving opportunities for, for people to change their lives, those people, are the ones who love God, they're going to be okay because those are the ones He's coming back to defend and protect. But the ones whose lives demonstrate by their sin, by their continuing sin, that they still love their sin too much to obey Jesus, those are the ones that are going to get what they deserve. And I don't know about you, but that's a dreadful thought. And it's a, it, I don't like the thought of my worst enemy having to suffer and you know, die and suffer an eternity in hell. I don't want to think of anybody having to go through that. I don't like, you know, and, and that's, I don't really have enemies, but you know, the people who have, who have not done right to me, I don't like to think of anybody having to suffer that. But even more so, my friends and my family and my loved ones and the people that I care about who I know don't serve the Lord who I know have not turned their lives around, who refuse to accept His grace. I don't want them to suffer and die. And, and it's, 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 I hate to think about it. Of course, it, 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 it will be justice. I mean, it, when those people are condemned by God, it will be justice because they, they rejected their Savior. They rejected the God that they know, the God who wrote His law in their heart, the God who's revealed Himself through the heavens and the earth. I mean, they are the ones who committed the crimes and they deserved the punishment. And so it will be justice. But I, I hate to think about what that's going to be like for them. And, and, and I would much rather, so much rather, see people saved than damned. So much rather see lives pulled out of the pit of hell and despair, myself included. <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with hell and damnation. I would much rather be on, the, on God's good side and serving Him and loving Him and enjoying the goodness of life. And fortunately for you and for me and for a whole lot of people, the iron rod of Christ's rule has not yet come, giving us all a chance to turn from our sins and find His grace. 
Because we all know that Jesus' second coming will be one of ultimate judgment when God finally puts an end to evil. But that time when He came 2,000 years ago was a rescue mission. Was that year of the Lord's favor was the chance to give the whole world an opportunity to repent because God wanted everybody to have a chance to turn their lives around. And we, we get that from Second Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow concerning His promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient towards you because He does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief when it comes. The heavens will disappear with a horrific noise and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze and the earth and every deed done on it will be laid bare. Since all these things are to melt away in this manner, what sort of people must we be conducting our lives in holiness and godliness? Who here has heard of God's grace? One, two, three? <laughs> Maybe. Okay, a few of you. <laughs> okay, who here has not heard of God's grace? Okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> and, and I would, most of the time, let me see what you think about this. Most of the time I would guess when you've heard about God's grace in, in our day and age, in our culture, it's something along the lines of everybody's sinned, but Jesus paid your fine, on the cross, so you just need to believe in Him, say a little prayer, so that when you go stand before God, He won't see your sins, He'll just see Jesus, and you'll get an all-expense-paid trip to heaven. Is, is that kind of what you've heard these days? Something along those lines? I've heard that a lot. And Ephesians chapter 2 this is a verse that they often use, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. So it's just Something He hands over. Something He gives you. You can't earn it, so, so He gives it. And in simplest terms, the word grace, you know, the, the religious meaning, basically just means getting something good that you don't deserve. Grace is just a, a gift that you never do. Somebody just gave it out of the kindness of their heart, not because you earned it, because they just wanted to give it to you. And it sounds like a present... You know, when a lot of people talk about it, it sounds like something you might get for your birthday. You know, it's your birthday, and I like you, so I'm going to give you a nice present. And you get to say, oh, oh, I'm so glad you gave me this gift, God. It's just so nice, and I love it. And, 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 and that hell place did not sound very nice. I, it just all that weeping and gnashing of teeth and worms and fire and burning forever, I just, I am sure that I would not have liked that one bit. So thank you very much, God, for this free ticket to heaven. You're so thoughtful. And I just, I love it, Jesus. And sometimes when people talk about the gospel, it, it's, as if it's, it's as if it's government welfare. It's like, you know, you're just too spiritually poor and you can't afford, you can't buy your own way into heaven, so Jesus is going to pay your way for you. If you just repeat this simple prayer after me, you'll have grace and everything will be great. But grace is, I think it, every time when I've heard people talk that way, it's, it like totally misses the point of grace. It's, I mean, grace at a basic level is just something you don't deserve. But God's grace is so much more than that. If you back up to the beginning of the chapter, it paints a picture, a different picture than I think a lot of people usually think of. And this is Ephesians chapter 2 at the very first verse, before you get down to verse 8. Um, it says, Although you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So it starts off with you spiritually killed yourself by sin. You chose to do the sin. You chose to turn your back on God and you wound up dead. You wound up 
doomed for hell, and that's the where we found you in the beginning of this chapter. It's, and verse 2 says, in which you lived formerly according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience. You know who that is? That's Satan. So it says, you were found dead in your sins and transgressions. You turned your back on God. You killed yourself spiritually. You deserved to go to hell and burn forever. And you were serving Satan. You were a son of the devil. And you had decided that. You had chosen to turn your back on God and serve the devil in your sin and kill yourself with your transgression. And that's where we found you. On the path, on the highway to hell. And verse 3 says, Among whom all of us also formerly lived our lives in the cravings of our flesh. So the whole world is doing this. Everybody around has been following Satan and serving their flesh, following after their their hungers and their lusts and their desires beyond what God had approved of, killing themselves with sin. And it says, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. So not only were you doing bad things, you, you got so hooked on them and so addicted to them and so made yourself such a slave to sin that you changed the very core of who you were. You went from being a pure creation of God into a child of wrath. And it's just, it's, and so that's the where we find you, the world, in, this, in the beginning of this chapter. And, and so here's the deal when you think about that, you deserve to go to hell. When you think about the choices that you made in your past against our, our wonderful Creator, when you sin, you make yourself a son of the devil. You, you know, liars and, and cheats and thieves and the sexual immoral, uh, sexually immoral and, and the greedy and the lustful and the gossips and the drunks, all sinners, all of them are doomed to the lake of fire. And the Bible says, unless you are righteous, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And, and I'm pretty confident that not a person in this room would qualify for heaven based on your past behavior. Am I right in saying that? And if, there, if I'm wrong, if there's someone in here who has never sinned before, I will gladly step down and let you teach the rest of it. I, I would much rather hear from you if you're here. No. Okay, then I'll keep going. Because, uh, but before you get too upset, because this is, I mean, this is depressing. This is scary. This is fearful to have fall in the hands of a living God. But the, the, the chapter doesn't stop there. Let's get to verse 4. But God... You're, you're found dead in your transgressions and sins. You're, you're serving Satan. You deserve to die and go to hell because you're a child of wrath that you've made yourself. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of His grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. Did you know that you were created 
to do good. God designed you to be righteous. To be holy. You were built for it. When He knitted you together in your mother's womb, you were knitted together to live a life just like Jesus. To be able to, to go through life and to not do nasty things. To not sin against God. To live a a pure life, serving other people and caring for one another and loving the Lord. God gave you life because He wanted to share a holy relationship with you. He wanted you to be intimately connected, to have a deeper intimacy and fulfillment than anything you've ever known. But going by your past and how you treated that creation, you deserve hell. And there's nothing you can do to make up for it. There's nothing you with, you can't make up for sin with any amount of good deeds. You know, if a murderer kills somebody, you can send them to prison or you can even execute them, put an end to their crimes, but you can't restore the person that they killed. So when someone commits a crime, they do damage that cannot be undone. And you might be able to punish them, but you can't restore what's been broken, what's been lost. And same way with God. When you've broken the kingdom of God, when you've broken God's heart, when you've broken other people, when you've broken yourself through sin, you can't fix it by good deeds. You can't make up for that. And, and I'm not talking about generalities or, or mistakes or something you accidentally did. I'm talking about specific acts of rebellion that you chose to do in light of the fact that the holy God of heaven wrote His law upon your heart and displayed His glory in the heavens and the earth, proving to everybody to, to make us all understand that we are all accountable to God for our choices. We are all accountable to God for what we do with this life that He's given us. I'm talking about sinful choices that were made in clear violation of your own conscience. That, that the, the sins that you committed were done on purpose. And we all deserve to be damned for eternity for our crimes against our Creator. That's what we deserve. And it's not like Jesus' commands are hard or burdensome or unusual or complicated. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. If you love God, you just do what He says. And His commandments do not weigh us down. They're not burdensome because everyone who has been fathered by God conquers the world god created us to be good created us to live in his in his will in his love and to have a relationship with him and to never screw that up but we chose to screw that up we chose to break that relationship and go our own way and jesus simplified it even more jesus broke the whole law down into about the simplest approach that anyone could take on it said love god and love your neighbor." Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's it. All the law and all the prophets can be rested on those two things. Because really, when you, it's love, if you really love, love puts others first. Always. Love serves and love is self-sacrificing and love always does the right thing. So if you live by love, loving God and loving one another, you will never do wrong. And in spite of how simple and straightforward and and clear and uncomplicated that is, people still chose to reject God. In spite of how good, how much good that would result in, people still chose to to reject God and destroy themselves and destroy others with sin. Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were His enemies, 
He sacrificed Himself for us. While we hated Him, He loved us. And that's what grace is about. It's not just some present that Jesus gives you because He thinks you're a swell person. Have you ever thought about the pain and the sorrow that God has had to endure down through the millennia? Because of the, every time somebody sins, they destroy a part of something good that God has made. They destroy themselves that God loves because He made it. They destroy His kingdom. They destroy one another. Every time someone sins. And I mean, what would it be like if you had to watch your own children? Your little, my, my little kids. What would it be like if you had to watch your kids lie to each other and murder each other and commit sexual immorality with each other and rob from each other? I mean, can you imagine the heartache and the pain that that would cause you as a parent? Now multiply that times billions of people who have lived down through the ages. And the many, many times that all of those people have ignored the good moral law of God that, that God put in place just to, to protect us, to watch out for us, to protect our hearts and our minds and, and to keep our lives safe. And, and, and He did that as a gift for us. You imagine when billions of people turn their backs on God and break His heart and break one another and break themselves and you, you might be able to just begin to sense the grief and the pain that God has had to endure as His own have turned their back on Him and rejected Him and denied Him and purposely rebelled against Him. And in the midst of His sorrow, in the midst of His righteous anger for the damage that's been done, He chose to give up the glory of heaven to give up the, the, the comfort and the opulence and the safety and the peace and to come and to live as one of us. To be born in a stable and to grow up and live a humble life, a holy life, demonstrating in person how we're supposed to live. And then He endured beatings and mockings and physical torture. Torture we can hardly imagine. To be nailed on a cross and to die alone in physical and spiritual agony for your sin. For my sin. For the sin of the world that had rejected Him. He became a sacrificial lamb who went to the slaughter silently to fulfill the requirement of the law so that we could have a second chance at life. Jesus gave His all to show us that He loves us that much. That no matter what we've done in the past, no matter how much we have hurt Him before and damaged His kingdom, He still doesn't want to lose us to our sins. He doesn't want to let us go if He can stop it. He wants us to be filled with His Spirit and, and to, to break free from all the garbage and to be given a brand new life and, and to be cleansed by His blood and filled with His Spirit and made new by His power and able to live the way He designed us to live in the first place Grace isn't just a gift. Grace is outrageous. It's, it's, it's unfair. It's, it's unimaginably priceless treasure that none of us deserve in the slightest. Yet Jesus offers it to us because His character is good. And His character is merciful. It has nothing to do with my character. I can tell you that. He was willing to shed His own blood and to give His own life so that you and I could find forgiveness and eternal life and the ability to approach the throne of God 
as an adopted son rather than a convicted criminal. That's what grace is about. So you shouldn't just repent for your own sake. You should repent for Christ's sake. You should think about what He did on the cross for your benefit and come to hate the sins that you used to love. And, and you should give Him your full devotion and, and lifelong commitment, not because it's the right thing to do, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because Jesus deserves it. Jesus deserves every soul on the planet. After what He did, He deserves us turning to Him. doesn't matter what I did. It matters what Jesus did. And that's why I should give Him my devotion. And still, so many people hate this God. And, it's, and it seems crazy to think why people have, have after He's endured so much, sacrif- so much for them and sacrificed so much for them, they curse Him with, with the lungs that He gave them and the oxygen that He provides them to breathe. They, they sin against Him with the bodies that He created. They mock Him with the minds that He designed and the creativity that He blessed them with. I mean, we deserve to die right now and to be cast into outer darkness forever. But Jesus loves you. And He endured such agony for you. And the grace that He offers doesn't just save you from the pit of hell. I mean, it does do that, but that's not where it starts. stops. It makes you a part of God's family. It, it pardons every sin you've ever committed and it transforms your life from the inside out by renewing your mind. changes the, who you are from the inside out. Remember how you turned yourself into a child of wrath and transformed into a monster of evil against God and the grace of God takes that all away and transforms you back into the child of God that you were meant to be and makes you brand new and starts you fresh and, and it indwells you with the Holy Spirit of God. It doesn't stop there. God Himself makes His abode within you so that His Spirit is alive and lives with your spirit and teaches you and guides you and empowers you to do everything He's called you to do. The grace of God turns you from a wretched slave of sin into a righteous Son of God. A saint ready to live life the way you were meant to live life. And if you're starting to think it just sounds like too much for God to give and, and, and you and I just could, could never deserve that kind of kindness and generosity, you're right. It's outrageous. It's amazing. It's be, Jesus deserves this reward for His suffering. Jesus deserves every life for which He gave so much. And that's why we should turn to Him and love Him because He is so good for, I mean, to offer us this amazing gift that we should never have gotten. And we can love Him and we can live in a relationship with Him and we can prove our love by doing what He's called us to do. God's grace in His love is, is, is it's in loving us when we don't deserve love. It's because He is love. When the Bible says God is love, that's the only reason why He's willing to give us this amazing gift. And what's great about it is He is glorified when we accept it. When we turn to Him and say, yes, God, I'm sick of that old way. I've realized how stupid and and destructive it is. I'm willing to turn to You, God. And He says, let me show you what You've just won. And, and And He is glorified when we're won back to the kingdom. Because we pass on that glory and we say, look what God's done for me. Look what He can do for you. Let's praise Him and glorify Him. God's intentions for us have always been for our benefit and and always been for our good because we have a good God. 
And so we should change our minds. And that's repentance. Change your mind. Stop thinking of life the way you used to think of it. It's, it's not just apologizing. You can feel sorry about your sins and still go to hell. I used to do that all the time. Yeah, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And then I'd do it the next day. Yeah, that was evil. Sorry, God. I shouldn't have done that. And I'd do it the next day. And repeat that. That's not repentance. That's, you need, that's just feeling sorry. You need to repent. Change your mind about that. Change the way you look at it. You start hating sin because it does so much damage. Stop entertaining evil in your mind. Stop, st- start seeing sin for the death trap that it is and run from it. Flee from it. Pray to God, help me to get out of this right now and never do it again because I don't want to break your heart. You've done so much for me, God. You've been so good to me, God. I never again want to hurt you. From this day forward, I want to show you how much I'm grateful for what you've done for me. And, and God is just and merciful to forgive. It, it, you know, he... he when you realize that you're lost and, and that all you can do is fall on your face before God, 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Grace is not a formula. It's not a pill you can take to, to get better. It's not a vending machine where you put in a prayer and get out salvation. It, it's nothing that you have any control over whatsoever. It is total, voluntary, unconditional surrender to the will of your Creator, who in turn gives you keys to the whole kingdom and makes you His child and sets you up in His house. And I mean, we tend to water down God's grace because it's not easy to talk about how much we don't deserve it not easy to talk about how much I deserve to go to hell and be punished for my sins. I don't like to think about that. And, and so often we, you know, we talk about heaven and we say, you don't want to go to hell. It's, it's, it's hot and it's filthy and it's burning and, and it's nasty. And you know, you've got heaven up there and it's nice and there's clouds and everybody's happy. Why don't you go to heaven instead of hell? Why don't you accept Jesus? Because heaven is so much better and you should decide for yourself that you don't want to suffer. You want goodness. So, so turn to Jesus. Accept Jesus in your heart. When what we should really be thinking about and really be worried about is, will Jesus accept me? Not will I accept Jesus. Will Jesus let me even close to the door? Because based on my merits, no. I'm going to hell based on my merits. Grace is not an entitlement. You don't say a few magic words and all of a sudden Jesus doesn't care about your sin anymore. You turn to God and beg Him not to destroy you. And fortunately, you know, God is merciful. You know, if God didn't feel like sacrificing so much for us, if He didn't feel like giving us so much that we don't deserve, He doesn't have to. He would be absolutely just in destroying us on the spot. And that would be justice served. But He loves us too much to let us go without trying everything He can to get us to come back to Him. And, and that's what makes the grace of God so amazing. It's, it, it, it just keeps on coming. We get a brand new life. Our mind is renewed. Our, our sins are forgiven. And the best of all, God makes His home within us. He gives us Himself. And we get to live in a relationship with Him through His Spirit. And, and, and because of God's grace, where we were once slaves to sin and death, we can find total victory over sin and be more than conquerors where our flesh is concerned. Where we were once weak and powerless to help ourselves, trapped, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Where we were once dead in our transgressions, transgressions, we now can have eternal life. 
with a peace that passes understanding. Do you see why God's grace is unimaginably good? Why it's something that you can't just sell as somebody to take this because this is better. Hell is, hell is worse. Heaven is better. So choose heaven. You want heaven, don't you? That's good for you. It's not your choice. It's God's choice. You need to go to God and get on your knees and beg for mercy because you deserve hell. Thankfully, He's a merciful God. It's absolutely, it's, to call it amazing grace still doesn't do us justice. It's, it's, it's absolutely astounding, awesome, mind-blowingly amazing grace. And, and the question is, do you want it? Or do you want your sin? Do you want to live for God? Or do you want to keep living for yourself? Do you want to accept this amazing gift that you don't deserve and you don't get to really choose whether you get it or not? You just get to turn to God and accept it if He's willing to give it to you. And the Bible gives us a promise that if we are willing to repent, if we're willing to believe in Him, you know, we can't buy it, we can't earn it, we can't do anything to get it, but we can receive it if we're willing to just change our mind about the way we've been living. You can't do anything. All you can do is change the way you think and say, God, I'm done with that. I'm ready for You. And God grants us that change. God grants us that gift. And so we can just receive it. The question is, are you willing to give up the old life? Are you willing to let go of the sin and the transgressions and the rebellion and the death and the the nastiness? Are you willing to open your hands and let all that go so that they'll be empty to take what God has to give you? Are you willing? That's the question. I'll end with with these words. This is John 15, 9-7. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My commandment is this, to love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because the slave does not understand what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have revealed to you everything I heard from the Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that remains so that whatever you ask a Father in my name, He will give you. This I command you, to love one another. It doesn't get any better doesn't get any simpler to turn to God, turn away from that old life, and accept what He's got to give you because there's, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater than being friends with the One who spoke the universe into being. And I pray you'll accept it. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your grace. Your wonderful, astounding, amazing, upsetting, world-changing grace. Words can't describe how wonderful and amazing it is. How wonderful and amazing you are. It's, it's, it's hard to believe sometimes how much you are willing to give. But we are so grateful that you are willing to give it. And we're so grateful that you're willing to transform our lives in spite of the fact of what we've done in the past, in spite of how we've treated you in, in the old days. And I pray that you would make that transformation in every person here. That every person here would be willing to turn to you 
and turn away from their old life and simply accept your kindness and simply accept your generosity and your willingness to transform us because you are good, because you are merciful. And we thank you for being that kind of a God. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.